0: Why am I with CBus Super?
1: Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I
0: had an accident on the worksite and they helped me out, no worries.
2: Yeah, they helped me out real fast.
0: Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. CBus. For all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, visit cbussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself.
2: This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Jeff Lemon and soon Adam Collins, coming to you from a world in which the US election is finally over, unless you're a paid up member of the Republican Party, in which case it will never be over. You will be shouting about it in 43 years time, about the conspiracies that brought you undone. But for people of relative sanity, whatever their political persuasion, this is a week to... Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and hope that maybe some small part of the lunacy has passed us by. It's a a week of good times in Victoria. Donut Day has continued day after day with zero cases of locally transmitted COVID-19 disease. We've also had some communication from Dane Hanstead and Anthony Radford in Victoria, bringing our attention to a donut flavoured milk that has been (laughs) released by the absolute lunatics at oak so we'll be trying to get our hands on that at some time soon the election turned into a test match in cricket terms it went for five days there were confusing numbers there was an attempt to come back that was never going to happen and eventually the result that looked likely about three days earlier came to pass and on the show today we've got a mountain of things to get through we will be talking to Barat Sundaresen later who's been in Adelaide watching a million hours of Sheffield Shield between six teams and three grounds that he's been pinballing around and uh, we've got a whole lot more to talk about too. Don't forget also Thursday, this Thursday, is our live show with Stuart McGill, which will be broadcast on the internet. If you want to see that, sign up on Patreon. There'll be more details later in the show, but you don't want to miss out as we sit down with the biggest turner of the ball the game has ever seen to ask how he shredded it like that. But first and foremost, I can hear Winifred May uh giving a bit of voice in the background down the hall somewhere. She popped on camera for a little hello before and looks in fine spirits, as does Adam Collins. Welcome both of you to the show.
0: Hi, Jeff. Thank you. That's a great introduction, which covered most bases. The election uh, that was, uh, I'm sure that my other podcast, The Greatest Season That Was, we might make a retrospective documentary about that in 25 or 30 years' time, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Winnie watched most of it with me in the end, just the way that her sleep cycles lined up with um, me watching hour after hour of CNN. I feel like, you know, sort of John King and Jake. Tapper and Chris Cuomo and Phil Mattingly and all the boys are my friends now, having watched them at the wall, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sort of session after session, doing their thing and sort of mapping my day based on when they'd have their shift changes and kind of getting into the rhythm of um, the CNN election coverage as it went on and on. But yeah, as you pointed out, it's uh, been a good week for the world compared to the Uh, the anxiety we both expressed in different ways last week before the election and how it was getting us down that is now over and indeed that they've uh, they've made significant progress on a COVID vaccine that was announced yesterday too so it's a week of good news and and that should be savored embraced and celebrated and hopefully we'll have a, a fun show as well I'm really looking forward to the Stuart McGill live zoom on thursday as i mentioned on our little brief snippet we put out yesterday mcgillow was watching the election very closely as well and he's a very entertaining fella so yeah on the patron page if you want to join us for that it would be magnificent we had a lot of great feedback for our weekend show as well our um well, i say our daniel norcross in my conversation with jared kimber from back in the calling the shots days we only used about eight or nine minutes of it in the, uh, in the uh, documentary just due to the nature of the way a program like that is made. But 90 minutes of power from Jared. We could have used any of it. I, I went back and listened to the interview in full last week and he was just uh, on top form. So if you've ever heard Jared talk passionately before and enjoy that, um, you can go back to the feed and see him or hear him, rather on Storytime last week. Really looking forward to talking to Bharat later on as well as I am coming to Australia which is now at long last sort of confirmed. It's been confirmed three times. My flights have been cancelled three times indeed my flight was cancelled again yesterday due to the um, UK travel ban but thanks to British Airways I was able to find a creative solution to get back to Brisbane for two weeks in hotel quarantine with a nine-month-old who has now just started crawling I should add but uh, now that Winnie's an Australian citizen formally which is a a pretty big development we've got a a 44-hour flight all told from London to Brisbane with four stops along the way as we pinball our way to Australia and then as I say two weeks in hotel quarantine and into the series but the good news is we you definitely will be there
2: did she have to do the citizenship test in order to get that? Did they ask her, like, <laughs> what were the core values of the Anzacs? Uh, What's Don Bradman's they, batting average? She, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a fair go. Uh, what kind of completely bullshit national mythology can we inject into this as an exercise in patting ourselves on the back for things we personally didn't do and had nothing, no personal part in?
0: I learnt from my, through my former life that the record for that multiple choice exam, which is, well... Back in that era, it was 20 questions, and the the quickest ever uh, to complete it was 35 seconds. So a friend of mine uh, went out and broke the record and did it in 31 when she became a citizen uh, some years ago. (laughs) So uh, it can't be that tough. I reckon Winnie would have been well-placed to at least answer the question about Bradman, given she, by osmosis, probably uh, absorbs Mm -hmm. a lot of what we talk about on Storytime each weekend in the background there.
2: Imagine how quickly Justin Langer could do that quiz. <laughs> 31 <laughs> seconds. No, he'd be through in about seven. It'd just be... Brrr, you wouldn't see his fingers move. You'd need, the like, the 1,000 frames per second super slow-mo cameras that they have at, at the cricket to, that that show the bat vibrating after the ball hits it it'd be unstoppable <laughs> in all of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the vaccine stuff is is positive. It's early news, they don't really know if it's going to have lasting effects or if it's going to help people who are already in a bad way, but it's
0: yeah, it did some some positive early signs. So, it depends on whether you sort of interpret it as like what's what's more important right now is some degree of positivity where there might be light mm. at the end of the tunnel is yep. it? Is it in the short term? Is that more important than if it does turn out to be false hope? The down downward slide we might have afterwards. I mean, it's a careful balancing act, yeah. but the fact that they've gone out and told us this story yesterday and you know, um, Joe Biden um, over here and um, Boris Johnson just kind of nipped off Tinder for five minutes and did a presser, um, which is good of him, could find the time to. Inform the British people mm. what was going on. And, well, he would know, have had a lot of
2: holidaying to do recently. You know, there's probably yeah. a lot of lodges to visit, some pheasants to shoot, and whatnot.
0: Yeah, 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 and some swiping to do. Most first and foremost, but no, they they they've gone out and made these statements. Does sort of signal that. They, they would put it this way: they wouldn't be giving the market those signals, and we've seen what's happened with the stock market overnight, unless they were pretty sure that they're on to a good thing here. So, yeah, like I say, one to celebrate.
2: Yeah, or unless they were going to make a shitload of money off insider trading. But you know, <laughs> let's look at the let's look at the bright side of life. Let's 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 uh, assume that um, the, the Pennsylvania legislature is not going to just find a way to wipe the entire results of the election in that state. Let's move on to the cricket this week. The biggest piece of news that has arrived as far as the Australian summer goes is that Virat Kohli is not going to stick around for the whole thing. He's going to play the white ball games that are on before the test matches and stay for the first test in Adelaide where he loves batting and has made a lot of runs, but... He's going to head home after that for paternity leave. Now, this was this was sort of floated a while ago that this might be an issue for him, but it was nobody really predicted that he was going to miss the whole series. They were sort of thinking it might be, you know, he might miss the last test or something like that. But in the end, he's the way things have worked out. He's going to have to head home. Before Christmas, and it would be very unlikely to try to come back just to play the fourth Test match, you know, given he'd have to quarantine <laughs> all over again. So they'll be, without Virat Kohli, Rahane will be the stand-in captain. Sort of interesting, given Kohli was... a. a part series captain himself in 14-15 when MS Doney retired or stepped down from the captaincy mid-series. So, yeah, the fact that they'll be without him for an Australia tour is is a pretty major influence on that series.
0: I thought it was also significant the way this was discussed. Like, I put up a tweet saying I'm sure this won't be received well in, in some quarters, but I was pleasantly surprised how little of that I saw. Yeah, some, some ferals in the Twitter replies and, and whatever. But as far as, like, sort of meaningful voices, you know, who were actually unpicking um, what was going on here. No one was criticising Coley for this, whereas I reckon if this was even 10 years ago, he would have copped a lot more grief from mm. former players and, and that kind of thing. So good on him. You know, what a great decision. What an empowering decision for his family, for his wife, for his, you know, soon-to-be newborn, first firstborn indeed for that matter. So uh, yeah, the fact that he's prioritised family um, over cricket is an incredibly positive and good and healthy thing. Uh, especially when he's the most recognisable and successful player in the country and indeed the planet. So he could come back for the fourth Test match, but I'm sort of trying to view it through the lens of, and dare I say it, as a father. I mean, you know, how many... As a father of a daughter. As a father of a daughter. I've finally understood now that sexism <laughs> is wrong. Um, yeah, as a father of a daughter, I know now that I can't hang out at Public Bar and start snogging, I, I start snogging young staffers. No, I, um, I, I know I, now,
2: I've realised now that women are people they're
0: also people they also like things and, and oh, want things i'm, I'm and not don't sure if like i'm not sure if you caught four corners last night but some of those uh, yeah i got, I got the vibe them. yeah uh, yeah uh, the the no but he could he could, could come back for the fourth test, but my point is is that i wouldn't have left winnie in the first 3 or 4 weeks of her life for anything anything mm. and and the idea that Cole is going to pick up after... I think he would need to leave on... He'd need to be back in quarantine by New Year's Day. So let's suppose the baby's born on, you know, let's call it Christmas Day for the, the sake of the hypothetical, that he's going to leave on day six to come back and play one test match after quarantining for 14. It's not going to happen. It's That's just gonna not happen. going to happen. So, and look, Channel 7 won't be happy. I, I, I mean, I know that this was a, a point of friction... <laughs> In this discussion When they were briefing Out those stories A couple of months ago Jeff Which you Talked to Dan Bredig About on the show I know that Some of the yarns That were being written At the time Referred to the fact That it wasn't clear Whether Coley would be here For the series And that was a a point Of contention And so on So I I mean I haven't heard from, From them yet But I expect They'll be furious But as far as the bigger picture is concerned and, and the health of the players that we enjoy so much, like, well played Rat Can you imagine, like,
2: can you imagine, say, 15, 20 years ago, Channel 9 uh, cracking the sads because, you know, Mark Boucher cut his fingers while having some biltong and wasn't able to play in a test match, and they're like, <laughs> we demand a reduction in our rights. This is seriously affecting the, like, I mean... Players can't play. They can't play. I just, it's it's very very comical. Um, nonetheless. The The sad thing is we won't get to see Varek Coley bat in three test matches where he's been so good in Australia on mm, his last couple mm. of tours. But the happy thing is that he gets to hang out with his kid. And, you know, as we were talking about a few weeks ago, if you weren't able to find a way to get your family with you to Australia this summer, you weren't going to come. And, the, you know, a year ago there was no way, nothing in the world could have kept you away from a cricket tour. And, yeah. But... You know, things change. So things good changed. on him. Virat, Virat Kohli, for that reason, is our Cbus Super Performer of the Week, which will take the place of the six test hundreds that he might be missing out on in the <laughs> innings that he won't get to play. Cbus, of course, provides advice and products which allow members to convert retirement savings into a regular and flexible income in retirement. And that's what Virat is doing, having a flexible lifestyle and a flexible approach to cricket. Uh, to find out if Cbus is right for you, go to by super.com.au and remember that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.
0: Beautifully done, Jeff. A couple of other little uh, nuggets in the uh, squad update that India put out yesterday. Ishant Sharma might come in. No, no, he's, he tore his muscle yeah. his, a stomach muscle during the IPL and the initial announcement was that he wouldn't be fit in time but he's rehabilitating well. So on that basis the 32-year-old might make the trip to Australia which would be a big deal given Huge. how wonderful Ebola he's become in this rejuvenated Indian pace attack in the last three or four years. If you have Boomer, Shami, and Sharma, well, that's, that's just absolute quality. The fact that it's the it's bowlers the that won't get three. into that team. Yeah, that, that's right. But again, it's the idea that, I mean, if you're, you know, Yumesh Yadav won't feature in that test side. If, and he's a fine, classy Operator Bhuvanesh Kumar, of course is injured But the fact that he couldn't get into the test team The last time around speaks volumes about How deep their bowling yep. attack has been uh, Rohit Sharma is into the test squad Jeff um, This is uh, always a point of contention With Indian test cricket fans I mean just Indian cricket fans Generally they have such strong views about Rohit Sharma And whether he should be in the <laughs> test team or otherwise But he's been brought in He's going to miss the white ball stuff He's resting after the IPL But he'll be into the test squad And Sanju Sampson's around that off He's into the one day squad The youngster he he was already in the test team, but mm. it isn't entirely clear whether Ridham and Saha will be good to go for the one day, so they're keeping Sanju Sampson in the back pocket in case.
2: Yeah, but look, Rohit, he's in terms of reception he's kind of the the Shane Watson of the Indian test team you know great white ball player whose whose test inclusion causes ructions but he has he did seem to have turned the corner you know last year when he he made all those hundreds in the test side last year and made that double hundred admittedly in Indian conditions but still doing it in the long format um, Mm -hmm. and being consistent was the thing that people had always complained about so he's He's going to have the opportunity to uh, to step up, I suppose, with Coley not there. Uh, he's also featuring from Mumbai Indians in the IPL, which is which is interesting, given that he was supposed to miss so much cricket with that injury, but managed to find a way back. and And the final will be played. The final will have been played by the time this episode yes. is released. So <laughs> we're we're recording a few hours before that final's played. But given that I've got to be commentating matches tomorrow i'm not going to stay up until five in the morning to watch it
0: that would have been pretty unreasonable had we said we're going to hold back the entire recording schedule till 5 a.m so that you can watch the ipl final and and put a podcast (laughs) out either I i know we've done things like that in the past but you've yeah you've made the right call there for your family jeff (laughs)
2: <laughs> for my for my family, which is consists purely of like all of the food in my fridge that I would have eaten if I stayed up all night, and my general sanity. So they're using the the McIntyre Final Four system in the IPL, which you are very happy about. That you've you've been wanting to see that used in any competition for years now, since it it bowed out of the AFL. So you yep. would have been pretty stoked over the last few days.
0: Yeah, and I like the fact that they do this in the IPL. It took a while to get there in the Big Bash. They now have the the Final Five in the big bash not exactly how it was when it was used in in the VFL but a version of it but yeah so the old-fashioned second semi-final, if you like, was between the Mumbai Indians and Delhi Capitals, who were first and second, respectively. So they got the double chance. Uh, Mumbai made 200 for five. Delhi, 143 for eight, falling well short, after they lost three for none at the start with Trivedi Shaw, uh, Shikha Darwan and Ra- uh, Jinka Rahane out to Boomerat and Bolt, respectively. A crazy start to that to that chase uh, after Mumbai made 200. But their Marcus Stoinis came out and laid a bit of a marker, a parting shot at number five, the big rig, the new big rig, really, isn't he? The new big rig. The new big rig, okay. uh, 60, sixty-five or forty-six. Uh, <laughs> the boom. big rig is dead. Long live the, Long big, rig. the big rig. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he, you know, having made runs at the start of the competition, had a had a fallow period between times, but finishing mm. strong, and he does so again in the second final. But Boomerah takes four for 14. So Mumbai straight through the first semi semi-final. so the elimination final. RCB made 131 for seven. Colley was out early to Jason Holder, who was brought in uh, to the Sunrisers' lineup about halfway through the competition. He's done really well. I mean, keeping Johnny Berstow out of the team's no mean feat as one of the internationals, but he's done that quite successfully. AB made a half-century, but 131 for seven was never really going to be enough, and the Sunrisers chased it down in the final over. An unbeaten half-century for Cam Williamson and yeah Jason Holder with the bat as well, 24 not out with a boundary with a couple of balls to go to get the Sunrisers into the final three yet again under David Warner's tutelage, and then the preliminary final between Delhi and the Sunrisers to decide who'd play Mumbai in the in the big one. Uh, Delhi made 189 for three, Shikhar 178, Marcus Stoinis, a brisk 38 so again in the runs and then they defended it to win by 17 runs. They got Warner out early, uh, Williamson made runs but Rabada took four wickets and Stoinis Man of the match 3 for 26 To go with his 38 So the final As you say later on Between Mumbai and Delhi But Marcus Stoinis Who knows He's in form at the right time He could end up being Much like it was with Watto A couple of years ago He could end up having a Being the player of the final Who knows
2: Marcus Stoinis En Francais Le grand rig The thing that jumped out at me For that too Was Robata was the one who knocked over David Warner for two. So that that mm-hmm. contest that they've had, you know, since 2018 when Robata has absolutely had the better of David Warner uh, but you remember that remember that the, the crazy start to the Cape Town test before the sandpaper stuff when Warner was what it 31 or 14 balls or whatever it was he hit four fours and a six off Rabada in the space of a couple of overs and then tried to put him on the moon and got clean bowled
0: and so and then when he's walking off the rip- field yeah it was the day wasn't it, yeah. it was it was on was perhaps the second day as you say day just two, before all yeah. hell breaks loose and as he's walking off the field uh, there's that that sort of uh, portly uh, white gentleman who came down to the race with the mm. big red drunken cheeks and who's abusing Warner all the way off. And Warner, you know, looked back and had a few words as well. And it was just kind of, again, it was a sign that things were about to blow mm. up, as we knew in retrospect. Yeah, things things were slipping. So David Warner doesn't
2: quite uh, knock off Suresh Raina as the second most prolific run scorer in the IPL, but he's he's third by about 100 runs, I think, um, behind Reiner and Coley which is extraordinary uh, and Warner's played a lot fewer matches than either of them as well so he's it's another big IPL season for him didn't quite get to the final and win it but maybe Stoyness will do that and, and in that uh, break as well we had the women's uh, T twenty challenge, the sort of mini IPL that they've got with four games between the teams that they could put together out of players who were not already in the women's big bash in Australia. So interesting that Sophie Eccleston was playing in that and not you know, hadn't been picked up by an Australian team I'd I'm not sure if she made the decision not to come out, but if you were any women's T20 team in the world, surely she'd be pretty
0: much the number one player you'd want to sign. Yeah, she picked up four wickets in the first game. She's the number one bowler in the world at the moment. We said it on probably for the last 12 months now, Jeff, that she is by some margin the best bowler in the world, uh, Eccleston. and Yeah, four wickets in the first game, and then they beat the Supernovas in the final uh, Smitty and Mandana made a half century and top scored but yeah Eccleston again in the wickets it was all overshadowed though Jeff by one of the final word's own a, ge- a former guest of the show indeed
2: yes Nadakan Chantam who is one of the Thai players who we spoke to on our, our interview with the Thai team she's the opening bat who and played that Crazy innings um, against Pakistan during mm. the T20 World Cup, where she absolutely smoked them. Some of the best straight hitting I've seen in the game, like off drives and cover drives on the ground and lofted. You know, it was, it was an extraordinary day. But yeah, the the she didn't get the chance to bat because they kept they pushed her way down the order to number eight or so and. Didn't give her a chance with the willow, but uh, the diving save, uh, you you talk about diving saves on the boundary and and a certain image comes to mind of how that works, right? You know, that that the player sort of dives forward over the ball and, and taps it back. She did a full cartwheel, like a full sort of gymnastics routine cartwheel in order to get near the ball and then tapped it back in with one hand an inch inside the rope um, and stuck the landing, you know, using the cushioning of the boundary rope. It was absolutely extraordinary and she's rightly being celebrated uh, for for that effort.
0: Yeah, it's the best diving stop I've seen in terms of the technique. It was as though she was doing a swimming tumble turn but she was going almost horizontal to the ground as she um, reached the ball and kept it in. Quite extraordinary. You'll be able to find that clip on on social media if you haven't seen it yet. But again, I think, uh, you know, when we have... Heard experts talk about associate cricket or developing nations who don't have a, a history of playing the game. They they bring innovations to the sport, but they do things just a little bit differently. And uh, I think that tie side is reflective of it. When they played in that T Twenty World Cup earlier in the year, a number of pieces were written about this, about how they compiled their side from very different. Parts of the sporting landscape. It wasn't as though they were developing players who'd, you know, picked up a bat at age six and were expats and were from other parts of the the cricket playing world or whatever. These were other you know talented athletes who they were able to convince that cricket was worth a go so yeah I'm not surprised to see that it was a a Thai woman doing something extraordinary in the field that we haven't seen uh, from a a player before it was I suppose yeah disappointing I mean it's overshadowed a bit by the women's big bash and there were no Australians playing and Elisa Healy was obviously expressing frustration about that when it was announced a few months ago but it's another building block towards what will I guess inevitably be a women's IPL. And if they can get the sequencing right with the Women's 100 in England and the Women's Big Bash League in Australia, which I think have deserved two exclusivity windows given they were Mm -hmm. the, the pioneers of these domestic comps and they can find space for a women's IPL sitting in between the two, well, I think we're on a good thing here. Even if it does... And hopefully, really, it, it'll it sit outside of the men's comp as well and they'll be willing to play a women's IPL that has really nothing to do with the men's IPL as far as timing and structure and so on. So they don't need to just kind of find tiny holes in the schedule and they can have their own yeah. space to, to grow the game.
2: I would have thought that'd be a, a gimme for the BCCI a, as a bonus because it means you keep your IPL branding and so on current for more of the year. If you you mm. you know you have your, your IPL in April and May and you have your women's comp in whenever it might be you know october, october november yep. or, or i suppose if you don't want it to clash with the wbbl you you schedule it around that but you can have it in the other half of the year to yeah yeah when to when your men's one is going to be and then well it could be in march around. couldn't it
0: logically it would be the, the women's season in australia finishes at the start of february historically march has been a window when a lot of international cricket's been played for the women sure but If you could find a way to splice it in there, of course, a lot of international cricket is played by the Indian men in March and April. Well, you know, maybe that can work.
2: Yeah. The... Big Bash has been going on. It's going on right now, actually, while we're recording the, um, the the two strugglers of the competition, the Renegades and the Hurricanes are playing off. Three for 86, the Hobart Hurricanes, if you're uh, wondering. They're betting first. But you will be thrilled to know, Adam, well, you already know this, but I'll tell you anyway because <laughs> I've been watching uh, almost every game that's happened. I've been, I've been pretty much at everything or, or streaming the few that I haven't been at. The Melbourne Stars are winning games. They won just before we finished recording, they're fifth in a row. So their first three games were rained out, but then they've won everything since. They've won five in a row, they're top of the table and, and they're, they're looking fantastic. The, the worst team in the competition through its first five seasons, without question, have suddenly become top of the land.
0: Yeah, I should admit, I've, I've been following the Big Bash via scorecards and, and clips more than actually watching games live. But just based on that, it looks as though they're spoilt for choice with match winners, which has not been the experience for the Stars since landing went to Perth a, a couple of years ago. They were really they had Lizelle Lee, who, you know, could pull something out occasionally, but they, they lacked mm. that star power. Whereas this year, Lanning, Villani, Nat Siver with Badam Ball have all been involved in, in winning games for the stars. And as you say, five on the trot, they're they're well, at the halfway mark, they, they really should make the finals for the first time in, in competition history.
2: Well, they're pretty much guaranteed from here given that the three washouts that yeah. already happened, it, it effectively becomes a ten or eleven game season. But it was fascinating to watch Lanning the other night. the The way that she can switch between matching Elisa Healy for destructiveness or matching Elise Perry for 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 caution and and control and build. You know, when the conditions are a bit trickier, she's so reliable. But she came out and made fifty off twenty five balls the other day, and was just you know hitting whatever she wanted for six down the ground, off drives, on drives, mid-wicket, you know, whatever she pleased, and they were... Going along at 10 and over uh, at the time At the point that she was dismissed So she, she'd made a 50 within the power play And was out in the 6th over or the 7th mm, over So mm. she's she's going along extraordinarily And uh, Nat Siver is taking a lot of wickets Which is that's a sort of useful bonus for them as well Because Catherine Brunt's playing for them But has it, has been economical But hasn't been taking wickets and, and hasn't had a bat yet So they've been doing all of this Without really much of a contribution From their most high profile international player
0: the Thunder are right with them Jeff uh, second on the ladder at the moment they dropped a game to the Renegades who've been dreadful but that doesn't reflect their season so far I'm loving how the night season uh, going at a, a higher tempo than she was at the Hurricanes Rachel Haynes is having a, a brilliant uh, 2020 as well across the formats I mean they're in really good Nick I think with Heather Knight it's that
2: she doesn't have to carry a team anymore yeah. and the couple of partnerships she's had with Haynes particularly she's just looked a different player because when she was at the Hurricanes it was she if she didn't make runs they were gone whereas you saw you, I've seen her over the last couple of weeks looking like she knows she can take on the bowling because there's more support to come. And they've also had Sam Bates, the left-arm spinner, just bowling beautifully, which has made a a big difference for them. And Shabnim Ishmael bowling quick at the top and Sammy Joe Johnson doing a pinch hitting and a swing bowling and Knight's taking wickets. So it's Mm. pretty much all all happening really well uh, for the Sydney Thunder.
0: Uh, Speaking of uh, the Hobart Hurricanes, where Heather Knight was the former captain, they had a a significant uh, shake-up of their list in the off-season, but it hasn't paid dividends yet.
2: Well yeah they're missing a couple of important players with injury for the whole season um, still in the bowling front though and and it's their batting that's been the problem they had they had a couple of the worst losses imaginable during the last few days. They were well on track, comfortable against the Sixers where they needed 30-odd off the last five overs in a run chase and instead lost five wickets in the last five overs and didn't get there. And then the game they they played the other day um, <laughs> when, when Rachel Priest made 80-odd not out and they needed 12 off the last two overs and instead just conspired to have a cavalcade of dot balls, singles, couple of wickets and it ended up with Priest having to try to keep the strike to hit a six off the last couple of balls to win, and she wasn't able to do it. The fact that they blew that game was just mm. extraordinary. It was so poor, and you know they 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 should be shitty with themselves because they are a team with limited resources and they're going to struggle a lot of the time but in the games where they've actually had opportunities they haven't been able to close it off
0: yeah they've got to take their chances when they come Uh, Adelaide are having the most Adelaide season imaginable so far Jeff they're they're, they're fourth on the ladder Uh, they've won three they've lost three they only lost one game to rain whereas every other club lost two or three along the way so we've seen more of them than other clubs and Stefani Taylor made runs uh, during the week which is important the import uh, from the West Indies but she's under an injury cloud at the moment but yeah they, they feel like they've got all the all of the pieces required to to mount a, a serious uh, tilt at the title, Jeff. But perhaps not all at the right times. Would that be a fair assessment? It felt like they had the pieces when Susie Bates came back for the game today, mm.
2: and then they lost the pieces because she's done her shoulder again. In oh, has come back? Well, I, we don't uh, know how bad it is, but she she threw a ball in from the boundary and then immediately. You know looked in it, it wasn't as bad as when she fell on it in the one day against Australia when she was playing for New Zealand and and, and busted that shoulder but she threw a ball in and then immediately was in pain and, and went off the field so you know I I don't think that looks good I reckon she's she's probably just about done for the season
0: and they need Bates to Stefani Taylor I mean given they lost Sophie Devine in the off season, I mean it, it's the I mean, Stefani Taylor comes in a very good replacement but nonetheless it's It's A lot of the time Came down to how well Their internationals Have played Adelaide
2: yeah, that, that's it. And, and Talia McGrath opening the batting looked good in the first game but hasn't really fired a shot since. Katie Mack played one outstanding innings, made a, a 50 that was better than anything she's ever done in the league, but she's gone back to her usual underperforming since. And so they just don't really have the strength of batting. They've got Wellington coming in at six and, and Madeline Penner coming in at seven, who's barely made a run in the league and, and was a bowler for the Stars. So mm. they're a little bit short, um, but...
0: They've got a lot when it comes to their
2: bowling But um, they're a bit short on the batting
0: Probably the most interesting story of the season so far Jeff, is how far the heat have fallen They're in Mm. 7th position They've won 1 game of the 5 Where they've got on, so they've lost 4 A couple of no results due to rain But yeah, losing Beth Mooney Losing Sammy Joe Johnson Yes, Grace Harris is back and has made A a couple of significant contributions Made 80-odd, albeit in a losing side The other day, Uh, they just don't have That strength anymore And I I feel like I've been
2: fairly negative today, but I've just, I guess I've been pondering these negatives while watching these teams um, over the last few days. The Grace Harris innings, she was 81 not out off 52 balls, I think thereabouts, chasing 179, I think. So, you know, it looks like a good score on paper. You think, oh, she had a go, she hit some sixes, um, didn't work out. It was. One of the least clever innings I have ever seen in how it was paced. She did nothing to try to go above a runner ball until about the 14th over. She was, you know, 30 off 30 around that point, just tipping it around, taking singles, not doing anything. And then by that point, they needed, you know, more than 12 and over at that stage. And by the last three or four overs, they were needing more like 18 and over. Right. And she started hitting a few sixes and she was striking them beautifully, like really really clean long bombs at at North Sydney Oval. But in between times, she kept just doing things like driving to long on for one and taking herself off strike. And it was just so frustrating because he thought, for a player with that experience, you know at that point, you've lost five or six wickets at the other end. You're not batting with another batter of your standard. If you need 18 and over, you need to score them. You You don't hit six and then take one. You keep the strike and you try to hit the next six because that's what you've got to do at that point. And she just... I cannot understand how she got it so badly wrong. So it looked great for the stats, but shit result.
0: Yeah, and the polar opposite of that really is the Sydney Sixers. They've got all this experience as well, but they just know how to close games out. They've uh, won four and lost one. They are looming. I saw Elise Perry had a massive game during the week with runs and wickets. Ash Gardner made a quick half-century. Marazan Cap going well with both Ball and Bat. And Van Niekirk in the top six as well. I mean, we, we often focus on Jodie Hicks when we talk about how the Sixers are, um, <laughs> are able to essentially have a specialist fielder in their 11, but that's due to all of these fantastic all
2: well, what I've kind of realised, which which hadn't quite clicked in my mind before, is that the Sixers effectively have a, an entire cricket team in their top six because they've got Aaron Burns in there as well, Perry, Vanneker, Cap, Gardner. So they've got five bowlers and their wicketkeeper all yeah. bad in their top six which means they kind of have five free players. They don't <laughs> really need the rest of their team. And so what they do have, they've got Stella Campbell, who's a uh, young you know, teenage quick bowler, and she's bowling very fast and, and looks a very exciting prospect. She's down at 11. But basically they can afford to have, at the moment, three specialist fielders where they've got Lisa Griffith Ange reeks and jody hicks all just having a run around you know lisa griffith has had a couple that faced a few deliveries um you know there's been the odd little contribution but for the most part it's dnb dnb because they don't need anyone else <laughs> you know their their top six players will do all the work and you know they're going along as they tend to do they've won four they've lost
0: one and they're going to be a threat So if the Sixers are spoilt for choice, again, it's the opposite of that really in Perth at the moment where they've recruited Sophie Devine from Adelaide, they've picked up Beth Mooney, the superstar from Brisbane, and when they fire, as Devine did, making the first century of the competition on the weekend, they win. But when they don't, they're stuffed. Yeah, and and Sophie Devine
2: had a pretty ordinary run up until that hundred. She'd been um, battling for runs and, and so it was good to see that click and, and hopefully that means we see more from her. But, yeah, when it's not those two, they've got Nicole Bolton at three who hasn't put up any really notable performances, but then it really falls away where you've got, you know, Megan Banting who's been on the list since the beginning and, and barely made a run in that time. You know, often that hasn't doesn't get to bat but is batting this season and hasn't done a lot. Chloe Paparo who's played... Something like the third most games in the league and made fewer than 300 runs in six years. You know, it's it's a fairly astonishingly paltry uh, return for someone who's played a lot of matches and had quite a lot of opportunity. And Lauren Down, the New Zealander, who's not doing much, but their bowling's been good. So Tanielle Peschel and, and Piper Cleary as an opening pair have been quick and been quite exciting. And, and then the Sarah Glenn, the English leg spinner, mm, has been mm. bowling well. So on that bowling side, but things are things are well set. But Yeah, pretty much as you said, two batters need to score 80% of the runs, otherwise, it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, which is fine if they make the final four, of course. If they make the finals, and, you know, Sarah Glenn, absolute star in the making, and and those. Uh, established superstars in in Divine and, and Mooney, but at the moment they're fifth and outside of contention. They'll need to go on a good run in the second half of the season. And the final side and the bottom of the ladder at the moment, and the Melbourne Renegades have Ba-pow. won one and they've lost four. I mean, my interpretation is if you're relying on runs from Georgia Wareham to get you out of trouble each time, and well, things aren't uh, aren't going as planned.
2: Yeah, and she's been fantastic. Like, yeah, she's yeah. really taken the bowling on. You know, she's batting at five though and I, I can't really conceive of a team where that's sustainable. You know, you want you want her coming in. She should be bonus runs. She should be coming in at seven and turning your platform into something more competitive at the end. Instead, she's pretty much the only player that, that they've got able to do anything at at this point with the bat. Lizelle Lee they've recruited who hasn't fired a shot so far. Amy Satterthwaite's but looked horrible, which is weird because she was batting really well for New Zealand only a few weeks ago against Australia. She just suddenly looks like, like the tin man who needs an oiling up. She's just creaky can't make contact like air balls dot balls galore made one off 11 the other day and and I don't really don't understand what's going on there but yeah the renegades you know the, the side we always want to do well but they're they're looking to, at, at their worst term um, for a couple of years. They've been better the previous couple of seasons.
0: So we're just past the halfway mark. We might return to the Women's Big Bash League in a couple of weeks to see how they're going leading up to the final series. Of course, Jeff, you'll continue to be uh, commentating those games on ABC Grandstand. You can pick up that call in all the usual places. Jeff, shifting gears, uh, England are going to South Africa. They've named the squad. Joe Denley Mm -hmm. wasn't in it. Now, 23 players are going across the two formats, and Denley, who's been in every squad, hasn't made it into... into that group, which suggests that he's probably done. I mean, you look back at it, it's a fascinating 20 to 24-month little career arc for Denley that he made it back to all three formats, was perilously close to being in that World Cup team that won the the comp last year at at Lord's. Played throughout the Ashes series, did well. Was such an important. Well, I say did well. I mean, his his numbers probably don't reflect that, but he was so important to that victory at Leeds and that ninety odd to finish the series at the Oval. So we leave remembering mm. him doing nicely. The top but, scorer,
2: top scorer at Leeds in the first innings. Yeah, there you no, go. Chef yeah, off for sixty seven, made twelve.
0: <laughs> but still, nonetheless, like he was the sort of player who was so. Uh, he, he would be a barnacle of sorts to deny teams running through England and helping lay a foundation, mm. especially in South Africa earlier this year. It's easy to forget how often he was able to bat and bat and bat, albeit never making three figures in test cricket. Lost his spot in the, 11, in the test 11, that is, against the West Indies at the start of the summer after playing one test. But now he's finished. So Vish wrote a great piece for The Independent about this and kind of just going into the idea that sometimes the timing – just works for a player mm-hmm. and and Denley was a product of good timing and things just falling into place at an unexpected time in his career having been out of international cricket for ten years and like and that's okay. Like, you know, he had a chance for a brief period of time and he did the best he could and he made a contribution yep. and that's all right. He shouldn't be viewed as like a failure because he got dropped. It should be more like, hey, this is a good story. Did well with the opportunities he had, never really made it to the next level, lost his spot, mm-hmm. Kesarasara.
2: Well, yeah, he's gonna be a you know a stat of one of those players with X runs who didn't make a hundred and 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 that's fine. Like You you can have someone come in to do a certain job. Like if you're on a boat uh, and and your boat has broken down, then maybe you call in a boat mechanic who comes and fixes it. Once he's fixed it, you don't need to be like best friends with the boat mechanic for the rest of your <laughs> life, you know. You can go your separate ways. So Joe Denley, he was needed for a while. He came in, he... he You know, patched some holes, he bailed out some water and he got things chugging along and and now he's on his way and, you know,
0: well played and good luck to him. Yeah, the patching holes is the right analogy too because now where he had to open bat three, bat four, bat five at different times in different formats, well, England have kind of got their act together in their top six now with... I mean, Sibley, yes, maybe some question marks, but Sibley, Burns, Crawley, that's who they are investing in uh, for the future. So all oh, now with, with test entries uh, beside their name as well. Anyway, that's that's Joe Denley probably done. Uh, Stokes, Sam Curran and Joffrey Archer. We're all getting a rest after the IPL. And this comes back to that discussion we had a few weeks ago, I think, about mental health as much as anything else, making sure that they don't burn out these players who are going to be in Mm. squad after squad across the three formats and making sure that they don't put them into a situation where they are constantly in bubbles.
2: Well, as the three witches said in Macbeth, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. (laughs) You can't be in too many bubbles, otherwise things don't work out for you. And eventually you end up murdering the King of Scotland and you can never get the blood off your hands. Um, And then you'll be killed by a guy who was a Caesarean birth. So there's a lesson in that for all of us. Um, There there are warnings there, warning signs for men of understanding uh, and women of contemplation and non-binary persons who have the wisdom Of the universe So yeah That's That's okay Give them a rest Send them home Um
0: I don't think I'm quite making sense <laughs> it's fine moment. I enjoyed it uh, Joe Root's been left out of the T20 squad Tom Banton wild ride for him in the last 12 months to consider that he was mm. the next Kevin Peterson for five minutes well he's been dropped uh, Reese Topley's back which is great news I mean we both had a bit to do with Reece uh, Jeff over the years and he's back in both formats so not just kind of being blooded in a squad where you know I think he got those one days against Ireland and it was kind of like in the mm. second in the England B team if you like and it was unclear as to whether he would get another big crack but he will in both yeah. 50 and 20 over cricket. Ollie Stone's back for the one days that's really exciting. On his day the fastest bowler in England and he's back from injury so a lot of anticipation uh, with the quick from Warwickshire Rabada will play. I mentioned the players who won't be available for England but Rabada's going to go straight from the IPL and into these games against England under the captaincy of Quinton de Kock uh, and the games start on the 27th of November so Jeff, something to look forward to uh, as far as uh, watching cricket at weird times of the day uh, from uh, November 27 until 9 December
2: guess South Africa can't afford to have their marquee players missing at the moment. It's such a schmozzle, as we spoke to Lungani Zama about a couple of weeks ago, Um, and, yeah, they, they need their players and, you know, they particularly need the representation from their most... Famous and respected black cricketer at the moment. So that's, uh, that, w- that was never an option for him to miss that series, I would imagine. Pakistan has been playing Zimbabwe, and this has, this has been quite interesting. It's been happening in Pakistan in, in rural Pindi, the rural Pindi Express, home of three one dayers, three T20s. And we had the, uh, the, the very memorable super over result the other day when Pakistan basically, they muffed it. They choked at the end of regulation mm. time. They had a misfield at cover that led a boundary through from a tail ender from Muhammad Musa Khan who played in that Adelaide test where Warner made the triple hundred. And then Having conceded that boundary to tie the scores in a super over, they managed to take both of the wickets required for Pakistan of the Pakistanis and uh, only had to chase five and, and knock them off. So they managed to get a win despite almost fumbling it.
0: So happy to see Blessing Muzabani uh, in the wickets picking up five in that game, including uh, Barbara Azam on 125 in the penultimate over, which kind of opened up Zimbabwe to to winning the game ended up tying it, but after they yeah, lost their way with Barber doing as Barber does. Also, good news that Sean Williams, an unbeaten century there, Brendan Taylor also in the runs. So great to have those two uh, mainstays back in the Zimbabwean side. I know that they have had, had sort of flirtations with not being available for selection, certainly when I was there two years ago and neither of them were available with Brendan Taylor over here playing as a coal pack. I know it's been a while since he's returned to Zimbabwe, but yeah, a bit of ballast there with some experienced operators in in the middle order. And yeah, the the very idea that they've played six games in Raw Pindi in the space of the last fortnight is a really positive thing. Pakistan have won the first two T20s. The third and final game is also happening uh, later tonight. So Zimbabwe won't win a game on tour unless they uh, upset Pakistan this evening, but they did get that that win via the super over in the one day international. And I think that, yeah, the more cricket being played in Pakistan and the more cricket being played by Zimbabwe, uh, it's great for the global game, especially as we kind of get into this post-COVID understanding.
2: So basically Zimbabwe should be playing, you know, 15 to 25 games in Pakistan every year, you know, just just what it takes.
0: As far as I'm concerned, that's what it takes to... I mean, Zimbabwe have have, have had to have similar... Deliberations with foreign boards to get countries to play in their country, so they understand that you know the, the back and forth of course Pakistan were in Zimbabwe uh, themselves two years ago in, in that in that tri series so yeah, it, it's really important, given that Zimbabwe remain a full member, ICC member, albeit one that sits outside the World Test Championship, but still uh, that that we keep finding ways to keep them part of the broader family because we don't want them to, to fall off the cliff again like they did a couple of years ago.
2: Make Pakistan their home away from home. Yep. Blessing Muzabani, the the terror of Lahore, <laughs> as they all become. I think it's time, Adam, uh, it's time for a little bit of nerd pledge Uh, we're gonna have the the midway break in a minute but let's have a quick little nerd pledge before then nerd pledge is the fun number stats game we play on the final word with people who support the show on patreon they send us a number of dollars and cents that relates to a cricket number and we have to work out what that number means the first of these comes in from david barlow and the number is $3.20. So you can, you can chop that up any way you like. It could be 320 It could be 32 It could be 0.320. It's probably like a, a rifle calibre or something. But what might you think if I put 3, 2 and 0 next to each other and it related to cricket, Adam Collins?
0: Yeah, Jeff, you, you put to me on story time on the weekend that I have a bit of a thing for England players from around the war Times uh, that played one test. Match. Any well, of the wars. I, well, I found one of them in George Pope. He played one test in 1947, just after the war. He was a a Derbyshire mainstay all rounder who played for that county between 1933 and 1948, and got that cap for England in uh, 47 against the South Africans at Lords. Didn't do anything of real note in that test match, and and that was that. Mm. And there's a nice citation uh, of George Pope uh, when he passed away at age 82 in the Wisden Almanac, uh, saying that he came to seem. The embodiment of the county's professionals, hard, rough hoon, underappreciated. He took 677 wickets at 19.92, so probably deserved better than one cap, but that's where I got to, partly on the basis that we thought this might have a a Northern English flavour, and indeed George Pope Mm -hmm. was a Derbyshire mainstay. Possibly?
2: Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, Yeah, I got a sense from David Barlow that he had a North England connection, although... I think he lives in Canada now, so I didn't. I, I'm now kicking myself because I probably should have looked up some Canadian cricket links that that might connect to 320 somewhere. But I have gone with because this is the final word, and because <laughs> nerd pledges can correct us uh, with if we haven't got it right the first time. Glenn Maxwell's fastest innings of more than one <laughs> delivery at the 2019 World Cup. When Australia played Bangladesh and he came in and hit 32 from 10 balls at the close, you'll remember this, Adam, because it's the game where he played that that helicopter shot to a wide Yorker, where he was f- yes. trying to he was falling over to the offside and then somehow whipped his wrist underneath it and lifted it over extra cover and it landed on the rope for six. Uh, you'd remember that one, I'm sure.
0: I'll never forget that game, but I'll also never really remember it either because that was the World Cup game where. You and I, for 100 overs, did the Guardian's live blog, but I was also doing radio. So I was going from, if you recall, I was doing, say, six overs on radio, then six overs on the OBO, and you were splicing mm-hmm. in. So for the whole day, um, I, I was on the tools, and it was kind of a, a blur. <laughs> one, of the, one of the more bonkers uh, things mm. that we do as freelancers sometimes. But yes, well, so I, I do know that it happened, and either I was talking about it or typing about it, one or the other. Yeah, there was that. It was that sequence where there was that one, then then there was a cover drive for
2: four, and then there was, like, his pickup shot for six. That was within three balls from Rubel Hussain. He made 32 right. from 10 and then got absolutely barbecued by Usman Khawaja. Oh, yes, When, yes. when Maxwell squeezed a single <laughs> away and took off and Khawaja just didn't run. Nah. He was like, nah, you've just hit 32 from 10, but I think I'm the more important player here. I think I'm the one who needs to see this out. Thanks, Usman. So, yeah, a, a, a wonderful moment that, that was cut short, but it ended up being a strike rate of 320, David Barlow. You can message us on Patreon if that's not your number and you want to nudge us a bit closer. The other one, the other new one for today, comes in from Dominic Davis, who I assume is called DD by people who know him well. And that number is exactly $3, uh, but it wasn't just randomly $3. It's 300, and the clue from Dominic Davis was 300 or three.
0: <laughs> you decide. I didn't do an awful lot on this, but I just want to note that Victor Trumper made an unbeaten 300 against Sussex in July 1899, which was the month he made his test debut. Yeah. Exactly 300? Co- exactly 300, not our. And our colleague, uh, Bazard Khan, who of course worked with us. Uh, in the UAE, calling the Australia-Pakistan test series a couple of years ago, I cannot believe that was two years ago. Buzzard uh, made an unbeaten 300, 300 even uh, for Raw Pindi, mm. which we were, of course were talking about Raw Pindi just a few minutes ago uh, back in 2004. So I, I doubt that it's Buzzard Carnal or Victor Trump's unbeaten 300s, but I just wanted to make note of those.
2: Okay, well I was looking at the 300 or three. Thing and trying to work that out. And I was thinking, you know, 300 deliveries in a one-day international, is there something that happened in three one-day internationals? But there are a bunch of players who've made three consecutive hundreds in one-dayers that didn't think that was likely to be it. But I decided I would go with players who made three first-class triple hundreds. Right. Because we've spent a lot of time talking about Graham Hick on the show recently. We have. Of, um, <laughs> someone who made massive scores for Worcestershire. But two of them were three hundreds and one of them was a four hundred. So they count that as three triple hundreds. But to me, that doesn't really feel right. That's, you know, it's, it's two triple hundreds and a quadruple hundred. Ditto Brian Lara, who made the two test triples, but his other triple was his 501. So that leaves me with uh, a selection from WG Grace, who made two triple hundreds in a week and then his third triple hundred 20 years later uh, in first-class cricket, which, which I quite like. Mike Hussey made one each season for three years running for North Ants. And, uh, and famously, Ravindra Jadeja, mainly a left-arm spinner for India, but who made three triples thus far at first-class level in India, even though he, he hasn't really gone on to be a test batsman of note.
0: Well, let's tie it together and let's call it Mike Hussey because Mike Hussey was also part of that commentary team with us in the UAE with Bazard Khan with his triple hundred. Ah, there we go. <laughs> why, why don't we? Why don't we go to that place? And if we're wrong, Dominic, and look, let's be honest, we probably are. The good thing about what we've got going on story time is you can correct the record. Drop us a, a DM on the patron, and uh, and we'll, we'll come back to it on the weekend show. And as we close off the the patron part of the the show today, Jeff, we should just remind everybody that. If this is the time uh, that you wanted to get involved on Patreon, if you hit the button now, you'll get a golden ticket to our Stuart McGill live show uh, on Thursday. It's starting at 8pm Melbourne slash Sydney time. Uh, You can work out what that means in other parts of Australia. Or 9am London time, so the 12th of November, which is Thursday. Stuart McGill, who is fantastic value, and, yeah, it's in part... I guess, sort of a, a thank you to our, our patrons for just being phenomenal. The support they provide the show financially, but also like how cool it's been with our nerd pledges editing their numbers after we come to them. That means that story time can continue week after week. And isn't that fun? I and mean, that's probably, uh, of all the things that you and I do, Jeff, as part of the final word and the podcast and other bits and pieces, we really enjoy telling these stories on the weekend. So, and that only happens because of the, the generosity of, of those of you who, who support what we do. So thanks heaps for that. So if you've wanted
2: to play the Nerd Pledge game, now's the time because you can come to the Stuart McGill show. That's a bonus for anyone on the Patreon page. You can set your own price and we're not like the New York Times. You don't have to spend like nine months calling up a call centre if you want to end your subscription. You can <laughs> stay as long as you like and uh, you're, you're allowed to leave when you please. We don't make that difficult. That's it for Nerd Pledge today. Patreon.com slash the final word. Let us take a little breather. A little moment to collect ourselves, maybe a little moment to think about satellite technology and the way that it benefits our lives in a myriad of ways. I don't know, just riffing. That might be what comes along. Who knows? And after that, we will be dialing through to Adelaide where Bharat Sundaresan is waiting with a large smile on his face, I'm sure, to receive our call.
0: They call him Zolio, the most beautiful man in the cosmos, including the two black holes. It's it's time for
2: Zolio. Yes, it's the magic device uh, that lets you send a text message from anywhere in the world to anywhere in the world, no matter where you are, by the magic of satellite communications technology. Adam, the, the borders are open pretty much in Australia, or they're going to be open pretty soon. Travel can resume. Grey nomads can get back in their camper vans. Uh, People can head off into the great outdoors without running into any walls of steel. And and I was sent a list of things, activities that people doing might want a Zolio for. Now, this is a little magic box that turns your phone into a sat phone for text messages or, or emails. So you can message or email anyone in the world from any, literally anywhere on the planet with this tiny little device. So if you're into kayaking, paddle boarding, or other types of boating, off road four wheel driving, caravanning, snowmobiles, mountain biking, dune buggies, presidents of the USA, my little dune <laughs> buggy, uh, other kinds of hiking global travelling which you're probably not going to be doing much of uh, but you might be doing some abseiling, you might have a hobby farm, Uh, you might be doing some hang gliding flying a light aircraft or a hot air balloon or maybe even a helium balloon if you're like David Blaine and you want to strap yourself to things and fly up into the air if you're doing any of these things far away from people and you want to be able to make sure that you can get a message to anyone anytime or have a little emergency beacon that you can hit where someone will know exactly where you are, these are the things things that Zolio does for you.
0: They do. And there's, uh, I guess, a serious point to this. We have a bit of fun when we talk about Zolio and talk about the, the, the activities that it could lead to if you do have uh, access uh, to a network when you otherwise wouldn't. But there's, there is a harder edge to it. And when you talk about outdoor activities, I'll never forget when a, a former boss of mine uh, ended up stuck on a mountain in Victoria over a decade ago now and it was quite an ordeal he thought he was going to die and had he had uh, the Zolio in his pocket at the time he would have been able to have uh, sought help a lot quicker than sleeping for I think it was two nights uh, in the middle of winter up a mountain after having Fallen quite dramatically down it earlier in the day, and look that that could have been that could have been fatal and uh, that when you 're going to get involved in these sorts of uh, adventurous activities uh, up mountains and so forth, you do need to take precautions and and one of those and where technology has developed considerably in recent times is that you can now have satellite phones as part of your existing phone, and, and Zolio is the conduit between the two.
2: Climb every mountain, forward every stream, but don't do it without an affordable satellite device that you can fit in your pocket. Uh, it's It's got the emergency button on it, there's the SOS button, and so that will immediately send your exact GPS location to an emergency response unit, which will arrange to get you uh, extracted if you've fallen down a mountain, like Adam's former boss. Or uh, on the positive side, if you're just having a really nice time and there's a nice view and and you want to let someone know, hey, I'm looking at this beautiful sunset on top of a mountain and I'm thinking about you, then you can do that. Or if you want to send that message to your enemy and say, I'm looking at a beautiful sunset on a mountain and you're not here and it sucks to be you, you can do that too. Any phone number or email address in the world, you can send this thing to from your existing smartphone once you've got the magic little Zolio box.
0: And maybe it's the sort of thing now we're back in lockdown in the UK through till the end of November. That You can buy, you know how sometimes you buy... Uh, Well, maybe you don't, Jeff, but people have been known to buy clothing that they will fit into after losing a few kilos. Like you kind of, it's an ambitious buy. Maybe if you're in the UK, you can buy a Zolio on the basis that when this is over, you will get to use it. Mm. Yeah, sure. Not in November. Maybe not in December. Let's see how lockdown plays out. But now we know the vaccine might be coming. There will be a world sooner rather than later where you can go and climb the three peaks as we learned all about a few weeks ago. And and you might want to do something along those lines. And when that time comes, you want to have strapped to your belt, the Zolio.
2: It's easy. It's Z-O-L-E-O dot com. They've got all the information. They've got all the rates. It's affordable. It's portable. It might save your life one day. Zolio, check it out.
0: Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw and you're listening to The Final Word podcast.
2: This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins and welcoming back our correspondent on all things India and all things Adelaide, Bharat Sundaresan. You have been in Adelaide where the Sheffield Shield Carnival, the the magic, the, the festival of bat and ball has been taking place. Has it just been a non-stop rocking party town for the
1: last few weeks? Hello boys and of course the Sheffield Shield had to come to me the only one who cares about cricket in this part of the country you know everybody was talking about footy even till a week back and yeah but you know what for the first week or so a carnival is the right word I really felt like a I was back in India covering Ranji Trophy cricket in like some tier two city and b it really felt like you know, like in one of those 1920s Sheffield Shield, Victoria played South Australia this morning. And on day two, Clem Hill just clicks the ball away. It it had that feel because they had these tents and these marquees, four teams getting together and having lunch together in the same place. Uh, it, it it had that very village feel to it.
0: Yeah, I love that detail about the, the, the marquees where they're all eating lunch. I mean, you can obviously watch the stream and you can take in the scorecards. And Sheffield Shield cricket's never been covered better in that respect. But... Uh, you being there has put you in a a great position because it is so intimate. And and I kind of wonder whether that intimacy, which we also saw in the 50-over carnivals they ran some years back now, whether there might be merit in this kind of thing starting the Sheffield Shield season in future years. Yes, it means that home ground advantage is seeded and and whatever else, but just at the very start, it it seems to have really put a rocket underneath the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think because they're playing in similar weather conditions and at least two of those games happen what, next to each other on neighbouring grounds mm. uh, and Glenelg is just 13 kilometres away but you just get this feel that everything's happening at the same time So apart from, yeah, we are so fortunate to be here and to go to each game and watch uh, an hour here, an hour there. At least I was during the first two rounds. Now they've sent me off to Glenelg to commentate, as you guys know. But you almost feel like everything's happening at the same time. And uh, yes, I mean, the Shield generally happens at the same time and a game might start in Perth slightly late. It's just a time, time zone thing. But... Uh, similar conditions. So, Will Pekowski making a double hundred in Glenelg against a South Australian attack. A week later, he's doing the same against a different attack, but on similar pitches and mm. similar conditions. It, it, I think it's a great idea. And what we've also seen is a decent turnout. Like at Glenelg or even at Karen Rolton-Oval, people seem to be interested to just come in and to get to see everyone in the same place. These names that you hear about, Jack Wildermuth and like jimmy pearson there are like it's possible that you might not see one of these guys for two or three or four years or never maybe it's just a name but because everybody's here together and they've been here for four weeks uh it's given them a great exposure to not just people of adelaide but through the streams to everyone i think more people have been talking about the sheffield shield than ever before
2: when you're bouncing around between games like that, have you had a method for deciding, you know, I'm now going to leave this game and walk 20 metres over here and watch this game? Like, what's what's your approach?
1: Uh, my approach for the first round was, okay, I'm going to look at the test guys. So it became easy because Manus Labushen was scoring 100 at Park Twenty Five or Gladys Elphick Park. So as soon as his innings finished, I was like, Maybe I'll walk across. I want to see this Cam Green. Everybody's talking about Cam Green. So let me watch a little bit of Cam Green. So you really pick and choose based on who you think you might be looking at as a potential test star or a test star. Right? like I got to commentate on Tim Payne's 100, which is like, you know, I can say I've it's happened only yeah. thrice. So <laughs> it was quite a special moment mm, to be there. It's a rare pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and he's racking them up you know, what, 12, 13 years without one, like two in the space of 11 months. He's really, he's found his niche finally with the bat. (laughs) And uh, yeah, like, so that's how I was picking and choosing. Now that I've been at Glenelg for South Australia, apart from seeing South Australia play the same style of cricket, like digging themselves into a hole and then trying to dig themselves out of it. It's been great. Like I said, Will Pekowski, Marcus Harris, I saw the record, uh, the records kept, kept tumbling. We've, I've seen a, enough of Travis Head now, but he also someone like a Jimmy Pearson. Like, you know, when you talk about wicket keepers around Australia, let always talk of Tim Payne and for some reason, Alex Carey's just like randomly considered the second in charge even though he never plays red ball cricket. So, to mm. see a guy like Jimmy Pearson, and I was like, wait, he's 28, he's captained his team, he batted like a dream day before, today it took a dreamy catch, but yeah and he reminds me a lot of Brad Haddon so to see someone like that and then you're like yeah he should be the second in line you know if anything he's there he's done it he's won a shield so guys like that uh uh now I have like started catching my eye or even a young Liam Scott he's just 19 years mm, of age mm. this might be my South Australian <laughs> bias speaking but uh, he's not done ex- anything extremely uh, outrageous but even the fact that he batted for two games and saved two games <laughs> you look at him and like yeah if <laughs> he, he's
2: he's the heir to the villies <laughs> pies <is> fortune. <laughs> yeah, so,
1: yeah. yeah I mean if if nothing like I'm looking at him as he will bat for at number five for South Australia in two years time so at least this something to look forward to that stuff i mean
0: to me it's yeah it's not so much it's because it's so foreign to us with the the tyranny of distance in australia you would never have two first class games being played within traveling distance i mean the county championship to an extent you might have that you could dart from game to game but yeah i I think that's been such a lovely part of it and it has meant that these storylines you've been able to pick up on on your writing and your commentary and the conditions being similar, the Pekofsky-Burns rivalry, if you like, which has only been a thing for seven days. Now, if this (laughs) were ordinary circumstances, that might have played out over a number of weeks or a number of months but the fact that it's all so concentrated that Chris Rogers as the new Victorian coach made that really savvy decision that we talked about on, on the show last week to to give Pekowski an opportunity in the one spot in the Australian team that didn't appear settled as Victoria begin their campaign and he and Harris go on to of course break that record and Pekowski back to back double tons and who knows he's on 30 odd not out overnight as we have this conversation. So we might make twin tons here but just on that rise I mean you've watched him firsthand you've been able to see what he's doing he, he just feels like he's taken another big step
1: uh and, and I wrote a piece about this yesterday day before I waited I actually wrote the intro two weeks ago and I just wanted to wait to see Joe Burns and you just summed it up that rivalry in particular because now we've seen Pakoski and Joe Burns bat against the same bowling attack yeah. on the same ground within in the space of what, five or six days. And while Pekoski mm-hmm. has looked so settled, he looked uh, completely at ease. And now then he's gone on to face a very different kind of attack, uh, which like, you know, we have taller fast bowlers or hitting the pitch harder on a slightly different pitch, but similar weather conditions. While he's been doing that, you've had Joe Burns like struggling against different bowling attacks and just the way he got out as well, Joe Burns and which is the biggest concern. It's the same issue he's had throughout his career where when the ball is full and's moving around, his footwork lets him down, there's the gap between bat and pad. and today he got out to I mean, it was unfair i I kept speaking about this on air saying, It was a hiding to nothing. Like Queensland could have easily declared and enforced the follow on. They did not. So there's nothing really Joe Burns could have achieved but getting out cheaply, which is what happened. And speaking of Pokowski, he's looked like test ready. Test cricket seemed always ready to have him. But he's just been like, you know, he's had his own issues, but he seems to have sorted them out. Before the shield began, he said, I'm ready. And, you know, he looks like a complete opener already. Like, he's got that presence. He's got that time on the ball. Uh, He's got something special, Colin, Jeff. Like, even, like, when he plays a proper, just a front-foot defensive shot to a spinner, with great batsmen, you'll see at the last moment, they'll look for a run-scoring opportunity. It's just a small, like, tickle-down towards point or something like that. So those are little special attributes to Will Pekowski that you can pick up. And the fact that he's gone, What? Double hundred, double nine in the space of one week against different attacks should tell you that, in my opinion, he's ready to do the same in Test cricket.
2: But uh, Pekovsky's the exemplar, but there have been in. Frank Terms, a shitload of runs. Kowad just made hundreds. Bancroft's made a hundred. Sean Marsh has made hundreds. Everybody's made... I think there have been 23 (laughs) centuries thus far. Is this a case of... uh, Are all of the pitches flat and and bat-friendly? Or, like, what's going on? Because there have also been a couple of innings when teams have been rolled for uh, very small scores, for 60 for New South Wales, 120-odd for Queensland, was it? There have been some... Some huge scores and some tiny scores.
1: You know what? The pitches have actually been outstanding in all three grounds. The first round, maybe the first couple of rounds, they looked a little flat. Where, But you still saw, what, Michael Nisa, Arman, callo take a five-wicket haul. You still saw leg spinners taking five-wicket hauls. Uh, but then we saw a lot of greenish-looking pitches for round three when suddenly you had three matches happening. That's when we saw a few more collapses. Even, even the game... Uh, you know, the, the Redbacks versus Victoria last week at Glen Hill. The pitch was doing all sorts. It was, an, it was a crazy decision by Tra- Travis Head to win the toss and uh, elect to bat. It was a cloudy morning. The pitch was doing all sorts and and, and they collapsed. So and even in this game, like even though you see, look at the scoreboard and you see Queensland have made 496 for five. The ball's been seeming around throughout a couple of umpiring decisions could have gone the Redbacks way, catches were dropped. So it's not just been runs scored on flat wickets, which has been, for me, the beauty of this Sheffield Shield set up the, the this segment of it because we've seen fast bowlers take wickets. We've seen openers score runs. We've seen middle-order batsmen score runs. We've seen spinners like Mitchell swepson has been taking five wickets, five wickets, pretty much in every, time, every innings he's bowled in. But the fact that no other spinner has done that is purely because of the quality of spinners. I mean, John Holland is a steady like, you know, can hold one end up kind of spinner. And that's why Victoria couldn't bowl the Redbacks out in five sessions last week around. So I wouldn't, even though we've seen, I think, 26 centuries and Mitchell Stark was upset about not scoring a century as well, chucking his bat away. You you can just look at the scores and think, oh, they've just been playing on fat, flat pitches. But the truth is, that's not the case. And batting at Park 25, forget about the pitches. They have these weird side screens and Manus Labushen. Complained a lot about it despite making a 100. So there's a gap between the two side screens. And there are, on one side, random people just walking. On the other side, it's the highway. You see the tram and cars. And and I, I remember poor Alex Doolan getting out to... It was LBW train because there was a freight train which was just going past. There's a rail track right next door. And the horn went off at the moment the ball... My, uh, Michael Neesa delivered the ball and Doolan was struck on the pad. So, you know, you have to give the train that wicket. So it's not been... As straightforward as just, like, batsmen having, like, you know, a great time scoring runs on flat... They've not been flat-top bullies.
2: He should have trained smarter. He should have trained
0: smarter. (laughs) True. (laughs) Even though there have been clumps of runs scored, as Jeff points out, and there's been that sort of reflexive, well, how flat are the tracks? It's been... When have they scored runs? has been a fascinating study. We talked a, a couple of weeks ago about Cameron Green... Uh, laying down a marker, Travis Head responding. Pekofsky doing likewise, Travis Head responding. Wade coming back into the team at Tasmania for round three, immediately making 80-odd, not out. And then, uh, as we, I guess, already talked about, Pekofsky again rising to the challenge for the second week in a row. So it's been... The internal rivalry side of things has meant that every time you pick up a scorecard, there is plenty writing on it because of the fact that they've had so much cricket being played before the first test match, it almost feels like another world when Australia last played a test in Sydney in January.
1: Oh, it, it certainly does. And it's, it's made for interesting journalism as well. Like, generally in a Shield, you'd be at a game, you'd see what's happening, you might write about... A innings or a spell, but here because everything's happening at the same time, you you like with whether it's Burns or Pekoski uh, or like you said, Callow. Even if it's just Lloyd Pope and Mitchell Swepson, yep. you always have like a comparative degree. So Swepson took four wickets and Lloyd Pope took took five wickets on the same day, on at adjoining grounds. But you had something to compare it with, which I think has been another fascinating aspect of having the shield in one place as a journalist purely from a journalist point of view all these internal battles you spoke about and look eventually look i've started sounding australian with my looks by the way yeah <laughs> like we, soon that escort's gonna be yeah look yeah look <laughs> yeah look. Man, yeah, man. Nah, look, nah, look yeah. oh yeah seriously uh, i uh, seriously when i speak to some of my indian friends i say oh i rocked up here and they're like you did what yeah anyway so, <laughs> <Rocked up. laughs> yeah. so uh you know yeah the, the, it, it, they might just Matthew Wade at number 6 and who knows maybe Joe Burns will retain his place I keep using pro wrestling analogies as you guys know and he is the incumbent he has the title he has the opener's title belt with him so he needs to lose that spot for Will Pekowski to get it Mm. yes he's not done anything of note he's averaging 11 he made 11 today Pekowski's making (laughs) double 100 after double 100 but does that...
2: You're not making a strong case <laughs> for him.
1: Yeah, I know I'm not. But you, you know, Justin Langer is someone who wants to and And there is a crucial factor there as well. David Warner's love for Joe Burns, like you know, we've seen them fist bumping. You know, uh, I've I noticed them last year during the nets. Uh, if Joe Burns is already in the nets, David Warner would come from somewhere. He would only start his net after he's fist bumped Joe Burns, and there's a, there's a lot of uh, brotherly love going on between those two. And and from a cricketing side of things, one of the main reasons David Warner loves batting with Joe Burns is when he's doing well, he rotates the strike well. So David Warner doesn't get stuck at one end, which was a huge problem for him in the Ashes. But in my piece, I wrote, Will Pekoski is very good at that as well. So him and Marcus Harris, the rotation of strike was incredible. Of course, everybody will speak about the boundary hitting and the stroke play and how good he looks. But I think his running between the wickets was as good as anyone else. So I'm, I, have I just buried Joe Burns? I think I have. but
2: <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. He's, he's, <laughs> he's gone. But uh, you mentioned Mitchell Star cracking the shits. We need to revisit this. He, he was on 86 Not Out. Um, his captain was Peter Neville, who let them bat on so that Sean Abbott could get to a century. And then as soon as Sean Abbott reaches his <laughs> 100, he says, right, come off, we're bowling. Mitchell Stark has never made a first-class 100. He made 99 in that test series in India in 2013, and he's never got back to that level since. Pretty entitled to to think <laughs> that he could have got another over or two. And if anyone's going to score 16 runs quickly, it's Mitchell Stark.
1: Yeah, and he had the, his momentum going for him as well. Like you said, he just needed a few more balls, and, uh, you know, especially... Sean Abbott of course has slightly more batting talent on paper than Mitchell Stark but when you've seen your partner being allowed to score 100 I mean this is not I know our Indian listeners will immediately compare it with Rahul Dravid and Tendulkar not making you know whatever double 100 oh oh, no like you know declared Rahul Dravid hates Tendulkar let's bury him at a stake but (laughs) but this is like this was bizarre because you let the other guy do it It, yeah it's almost like I would understand if it was Sean Abbott's dad who was coaching the side and he just wanted his son or captaining the side <laughs> he just wanted his son to get to 100 and didn't care about the other kid. So it was very, very understandable that Stark chucked his bat away uh, and he wanted to bowl very, very fast after that. Sean Abbott's uh, one of a group
0: of fast bowlers which just reinforced the depth, uh, really. I mean, the fact that Cummins and Hazelwood um, haven't been around has have given uh, other opportunities, but uh, nor Pattinson for, for that matter. But, you know, you look at Tasmania and, yes, they haven't, Perhaps got the results that you might expect with this But Bird and, and Siddle, just look at their figures Against New South Wales when bowling them out for 64 Bird, 10.3 overs, 6 maidens, 4 for 14 And Siddle, 11 overs, 5 maidens, 3 for 17 I feel like we've seen that a few times Through the course of these four rounds They'll be nowhere near the test side this summer For Well, Siddle's retired But I don't expect Bird will be mm. necessarily in the frame but, but Sean Abbott is a player who's been on Australian tours. He's been in the white ball squad as recently as England this year. Uh, And then Mitchell Stark started his campaign pretty well too, having decided not to be uh, part of the IPL this year.
1: Yeah. and, And you know, if we can just stick to Siddle and Bird for a second, it's so important to see guys like Siddle, Bird, Chad Sayer, Scott Boland play first class cricket. I think they don't get their due because forget about what they do for their own state. It's important that these guys continue playing for the sake of Australian cricket because they become yardsticks, right? Yeah. I call them yardsticks for young first-class batsmen because they are guys, they're not going to do anything different to what they've done the previous season. But they'll test you, they'll you know, they'll be at you all day long. So if you as a first-class batsman, whether you're Will Pekowski or even a Travis Head... Or, or maybe Travis said it's the wrong example he's played test cricket a- any other young batsman around the country if you're good enough to survive a Boland spell or a Sayer spell or a Siddle spell or a Bird spell that tells you that maybe you are good enough to play at the next level if you can't in my book it's it tells you that you're not good enough and similarly we've seen some Uh, We haven't even spoken about Michael Nisa. I was going to I was going to
0: jump in and say that too. I mean, uh, the one I neglected to mention there is Nisa, who is in. I mean, the the test squad, if you like. He's been the 12th man perennially, but I mean, there is there is not enough time (laughs) for you two to talk about Michael Nisa. (laughs) But simply to lay marker that I mean, even in the unlikely event where you know a number of Australian bowlers fell over. This is, it's been talked about for years now, but this is an area of, of, of distinct strength right now.
1: Well, you're so spoiled right now if you're an Australian selector for fast bowling talent. You know, we didn't even mention Trent Copeland, poor guy, his bowling yeah. maidens and taking crazy amounts of wickets. Uh, yeah, Sean Abbott, and he's also shown that he can be consistent with the bat. And he's come in in different conditions and different situations and scored runs. He made quick fast 60s and 50s. Now he's made a 100. And you know, one of the more underrated spells of this season was Sean Abbott in that game. Uh, I think it was WA, New South Wales, where New South Wales made a lot of runs after Cam Green got 197. He went for less than two and a half runs an over. I think he finished with five for 80 odd when there were over a thousand runs scored, and that was actually a flat pitch, which tells you that if you want someone who you want him to run in all day long and provide that support to a Cummins or a Hazelwood. Uh, you know, because we're going to see a lot of test cricket being played. So if you want to rest someone, you'll need guys like a Michael Nisa uh, Of course, in our book, he'll be ahead of Sean Abbott. You know, he's made 100 in the first game and taken five wickets. But, you know, <laughs> it, 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 they're so spoiled right now for fast bowling options. It's unfortunate that we can't say the same about the spin department. But at least in Swepson, you have someone who looks ready for test cricket.
2: And who's taken bags. He's taken another five wickets again just before we've recorded this. So, And in conditions that have favoured batting, that seems like a big step up for him.
1: Oh, definitely. And tomorrow's going to be a big day for him. He's spoken to our dear friend Dan Brettig uh, about how he wants to be in a position where he spins and bowls his teams to victory on Mm -hmm. the final day. He's done it once against Tasmania. Almost did it against New South Wales in that dramatic run chase, uh, and tomorrow he uh, South Australia have six wickets left. Of course, it's all going to be it's going to be all about Callum Ferguson uh, and in his final innings. Here he's bowled outstandingly well. He just looks like he's going to make things happen. He looks like a leg spinner who, uh, and we've seen other leg spinners come and go in Australian cricket. Like, but this guy just his consistency and control. Uh, And he he is another example. He's going at 2.7. Like, that's outstanding economy rate for Alex Spino who's taking five wicket holes. Mm.
0: And another young player that has that kind of irresistible force feel around him is Cameron Green, who who you mentioned before. I, I wonder the extent to which... Shane Watson's retirement and the kind of love in around him last week, and his commentary in the paper with Benny Horn the other day as well about the the curve he was marked on, might sort of just inform the way that we interpret Green. Certainly, as a younger player, and whether it might even sort of incentivise the selectors just to be a bit chill with him and, and take their time, because you go back three or four weeks at the start of this tournament, 197 against New South Wales, it felt as though. If Head or Wade stumbled, they just pick Green because he was ready. But now, whether they might just be a bit more conservative?
1: Maybe, but you don't need to look at him as an all-rounder. The way I would have gone about Cam Green is if he's scoring runs and he's scoring runs and you just look at him bat, call Similar to Pekowski, he's done it against different kinds of bowling attacks. Mm. The way he faces up to pace and spin, for someone so tall, he has outstanding balance at the crease. You know, presence at the crease. Well, is he going to be the same when he goes to the subcontinent? We'll see all that when that happens. But for now, I would just pick him as a batsman. And if in a couple of years' time, his body is ready to bowl and bowl like, you know, 11 overs or 12 overs in a day, then you have a ready-made all-round option mm, in your mm. in your playing 11 because there's always this talk about all-rounders in Australia, but how often do they play them? It's like the old, oh, two spinners in Sydney thing, right? <laughs> we talk about it. There's one copy guaranteed before the Sydney test, but you rarely do it. So it's like that. It, Yes, Matthew Wade has come back now and made 50 and 80. But in my book, I would any day pick Green over Wade purely because he's the future and Matthew Wade's not that old. He's 33. But I think Wade had a role that Australia needed someone to fill, which he did. But purely the way he went last season, I, I don't know. I would go for Green. Well, this
0: is interesting. We, we had a conversation earlier before you came on the show today about, about Joe Denley... Um, plugging a hole for England at an important time and I wonder whether that might be where Wade ends up being evaluated. They needed him to come in at that point in time before the Ashes last year, He banged the door down earned the spot, played a role, made two centuries has a good home summer but whether it might just simply be the case that an exciting younger player has overtaken him. No, no fault of his own.
1: Yeah, um, that, you said that's a great comparison, actually, Joe Denley and Matthew Wade. And also, you have to realize, Matthew Wade's no longer the uh, I'm going to like go after you, Virat Kohli kind of guy. In fact, on record, he said that, oh, Virat Kohli is a guy we want to leave alone. Even though he's going to come here only for a test match, we'll talk about it later. So, if he had had a big summer last year, it made a few hundreds, uh, or even averaged in the 50s, you could have said, yeah, we stick with Wade. But when you have a talent who's like, you know, Cam Green, who was waiting to come in. And we had uh, Greg Chappell in the box. I'm already sounding like a commentator now. We had <laughs> Greg Chapel in the box the other day. He was like, you know, talking about big talents. And he made a good point. Hmm. Uh, he said that if you have...
2: <laughs> really? That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a rare day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very that's
1: great. That's uh, a No, no, no. Yeah. So, you know, he spoke about how if the, you, you spotted a talent who's good enough for the higher level the longer you keep keep him at the lower level the, the more you're wasting him so if he's ready just push him out there. that's always which, the chapel
0: line isn't it if fruit is ripe you it, must it, pick it or it will go rotten that's what he used to say about um, <laughs>
1: which makes a lot of sense but, but, it's how he was yeah built. yeah Absolutely. And, and he also used that platform to, I don't know who he was directing that statement at. He said, Oh, I know over the years, people have always accused me of backing uh, or being obsessed with youth. I'm just obsessed with talent. And I thought that was a cool line. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a good line. Got to have some lines. Um, look, more importantly, and speaking about picking fruit when it's ripe, something very exciting for us on the final word Sean Marsh. <laughs> Three centuries 485 runs In the season thus far Averaging 97 What did Bradman average In first class cricket? 95 Pfft. Ah Sean Marsh First class <laughs> average This season 97 Just mint uh, Form of his career Actually probably is In the form of his career <laughs> What gives? <laughs> Why? And and ha- have you had the chance To watch some Sean Marsh magic More
1: importantly I saw the first Of those hundreds Yeah At the Karen Rolton Over And you know It's been the Marsh shield For a couple of years I know but just seems to be more marsh boards than ever before around the ground. And wherever you looked at Sean Marsh, there were at least four marsh boards behind him. So it was like marsh, 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 marsh hmm. behind him. And <laughs> I saw that first thing. It was. Maybe that's all he <laughs> needed
2: to have the competition named after him. <laughs> that's, that's all he was really If they played marsh test matches, they did last fun. summer.
1: That's, oh, oh, yeah, they did. It wasn't was, 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 like, was the, of the, summer. In the side. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but that first hundred was... He was smoking them. Like he was hitting some big sixes around the Karen Rolton-Noble. I think they were playing for a declaration, if I'm not mistaken. He was... Yeah, he was knocked over by Lloyd Pope in the first innings. But it was quite a knock. It was very... It was it was a Sean Marsh knock I remember watching in the IPL back in 2008-2009 when he used to he was on top of the T20 game, when he was Preeti Zinta's favourite Australian. That's the Sean Marsh he reminded me of. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen the next 200s. Well, he made
0: 135 in the round that we're currently watching in the first dig, a- Against Victoria, yes. Yeah, so he won't get a second chance to bat in this game, but as Jeff says, he'll, he'll finish this clump of games with um, three centuries uh, to his name. Other players that have gone on to reach three figures who we haven't really talked about yet, Usman Kawaja didn't do an awful lot until saluting this week and then made 46-not out in the second dig. Just as a, a timely reminder that he is there in the extended squad environment where let 's assume they pick you know twenty four twenty five players for the test matches due to coronavirus that he he will probably get another opportunity in a squad at least uh, Matt Renshaw batting at number five made seventy odd the other week made one hundred and sixty eight this week, so we always think of him as the young opener. But now, as he matures, maybe he'll have a, a future in the middle order. So yes, while the marshing is a, a good laugh, and like if he got picked, uh, if there was a coronavirus <laughs> outbreak, as we sort of foreshadowed a couple of weeks Please. ago, and they need to find a captain of Australia at short notice, a 37-year-old Shaw Marsh would make my heart sing. In reality, Kawaja and Renshaw probably are the two that are one out and one back. Almost in the same category as someone like Peter Hanscombe, who made 80 odd you know, the other day but isn't really in the frame, who they might just have in that squad of 22 or 24 as injury backup?
1: It was mine, Kwaja. Yes, it, it, it was one of those centuries. He looked fluent. He always does, right? When he bats for a period of time. But he just didn't look convincing in the first inning. There were a lot of balls that went past his outside edge. I thought the Redbacks, Wes Agar in particular, bowled really well to him. Mm. But having said that, he did survive enough or long enough to make a 100 and then he played some great... He, in fact, looked better today though they were playing for a declaration. He made 46. But he was just timing everything. But... Uh, Maybe they've gone past him. It was only a year ago he was being referred to as the poster boy of Australian cricket by mm. Justin Langer, wasn't he? So it's interesting how quickly <laughs> the equations have changed for him. But Renshaw is an interesting one. You know, you I remember Renshaw as this dogged opener who played a few... Attractive shots, looked a little like Matthew Hayden, but batted like Justin Langer. That was my memory of Ma- Matt Renshaw. But, uh, like you know, we spoke about Will Pukowski sometime back. <laughs> Matthew
0: Hayden in the streets, Justin Langer in the sheets.
1: <laughs> That's literally who Renshaw is. Just cast
0: your mind forward to Justin Langer in the sheets there, yeah, Jeff. Very good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> be enthused be very enthused oh, we spoke about Pekowski like makeshift opener who's suddenly now banging down the door for that opener's plot Renshaw's he, just the tempo of his innings the way he came and played uh he went after the spinners he he was on a roll for the first 40 runs and then Pearson came my new favorite wicketkeeper batsman in Australia came and stole the show he took an outstanding catch today as well and he does the Brad Haddon tug of the sleeve as well so he reminded me a lot of Brad Haddon like I said said earlier so yeah i mean renshaw is just 23 the advantage of starting so young right you always get second and third chances so in a couple of years time uh, number five number six you never know yeah if he continues batting the way he is in my book he is still ahead of usman kawaja
0: right, before we finish uh, a word for callum ferguson a lot of lovely words written about him uh, last week when he announced this will be his final um, Game for South Australia and last game uh, intern, uh, in turn in first class cricket. A-, a strange career in many respects, a player who I think we all expected for a long period of time, about a decade ago. It would go on to be a, a bit of a mainstay of the national side. Injuries at inconvenient times, of course a couple of knee reconstructions along the way. A test taboo but in a week, this, this week four years ago actually, it was the week that Donald Trump was elected um, four years ago where Ferguson <laughs> uh, played that test match down at Hobart which ended sort of in strange circumstances with that run out and, and all the rest of it but at least he has that baggy green, no one could take that away from him but yeah I think that a player that across the board will carry the respect of anyone that
1: saw him play. Definitely and uh, uh, when he came out to bat today, there was a little discussion amongst the Queensland team. Guy, and they just taken two back-to-back wickets. Michael Nisa was on fire. It was all about him. He was breathing fire. And they had a little chat. And it, and then they just like formed a guard of honour. And, and when you walk, it, it, it was more out of respect to him as a person as much as it was to him as a cricketer. But for me, what stood out, Kolo and Jeff happened a few days ago when Saka suddenly sent a message across saying that there's a big announcement coming so I rushed to the Adelaide Oval I was two minutes late to that press conference so when I went in the entire Redbacks squad was standing you guys know the basement where they hold the press conferences right so there's that viewing area on top so they were all there so I stood stood like you know amongst them or amidst them without a mask on which is strange and Canon Ferguson was sitting there with he'd bought his first ever cap and the current cap the Redbacks cap uh, and he just spoke purely about the passion he has for South Australian cricket he broke down like while talking about it as well and I, I was just looking at the faces of the Redbacks guys around me you could see that he, he, if they didn't feel as passionate about playing for their state after just listening to him for 15-20 minutes they definitely should have would have and you know what better sign of a great career than your entire team attending your announcement like you know about your retirement and then applauding you giving you a standing ovation while your baby is wailing i mean that can it it doesn't get a better than that (laughs) at all so yeah he's such a lovely man though i just saw him even today after he's still unbeaten he will bat tomorrow again as i was just leaving the ground he was there just like seeing his family off but he had time to stop, smile and ask me how I was doing and I felt that it's a little strange considering I should be doing the same to him Uh, considering this is one one day left as a Redbacks cricketer but I think he would just be disappointed that they've let him down like uh, you just observed him today on the field you know, left alone before he came out to bat. Yesterday, he was let down by his batsman. Today, he was let down by his batsman. At least Harry Nielsen has hung around. But just to sum it up, what really caught me off guard was when he spoke about at the age of 35, he's going to turn 36 soon. He said that at the start of the season, I actually thought if I scored 1,000 runs, I still have a chance of coming back into the squad. It was like, that shows you that yeah, you do, you never give up, so Sean Marsh shouldn't give
0: up. Well, I mean, we were saying about 12 months ago if Australia needed the, a short-term captain that Ferguson could be in the frame for that, which sounds odd, but I suppose that's been partly due to the leadership void uh, with what happened a couple of years ago. So by the time this show comes out, Callum Ferguson's career
2: will be over with the Redbacks but at the moment it's it's night three for those matches so he'll be resuming tomorrow South Australia 138 for four chasing 448 might be a chance for a last little salute from Kellum Ferguson. Uh, Victoria VWA there's pretty much nothing for the Vicks to do but bat They're four runs behind uh, but without having lost a wicket, at Pekowski 32 not out so they might as well just let him pile up as many as he can and, and press his case and then Tasmania versus is New South Wales, that absolutely bizarre game when New South Wales were bowled out for 64 in the first innings then made 522 for six in the second and now the Tasmanians are 26 for two and they need to try to bat out the day or make 358 to win. So there'll be plenty for you to watch tomorrow, Barat.
1: Plenty to watch. Uh, I've already been informed that... uh the guy who takes his decisions, Dan Allen, with the commentary, he thinks that the Redbacks game isn't going to last for too long. So, he just messaged me sometime back saying, I might have to then rush to Karen Rolton, <laughs> like do a couple of <laughs> steps for the games there. Earn your money. But earn uh, my money yeah <laughs> why shouldn't i yeah, yeah I, I might become the first commentator in history to do two first class games in a day yeah there you go some history One not three or maybe three what is, why be <laughs> slack i three. know i know i'm Aim too three. lazy look
2: barat it's always lovely catching up with you and having you on the show thanks for joining the final word once again my pleasure as always boys
0: hi i'm natalie jumanis and you're listening to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins
2: uh, this is the final word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. Thank you, Barat. Farewell to him. That smiling man goes off into the night once more. And uh, I'm glad that he had such an eagle eye on everything happening in Adelaide, Adam.
0: Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I, I think I said in one of my questions that I have felt deeply jealous of uh, those journalists based in Adelaide. So Andrew Faulkner has been doing the same thing, um, bouncing from ground to ground. It's kind of my dream come true really watching first class cricket in, in that way but um, yeah I think this carnival idea has got a lot going for it and the Pekofsky question is a considerable one really for selectors like I think they've just got to pick him don't they provided he is right to go and that's the caveat around Will of course And in, in the past he's put his hand up when he hasn't been right to go but he's reached this stage before and, and, and ruled himself out as far as selection is concerned for Australia. But if he's good to go, yeah, let's rip the Band-Aid off, get him in there and give him an opportunity. He's making runs in the position where uh, there is one that's, well, it feels wrong to say vacant with Burns, but it, I, I can't arrive at any other conclusion. And you know, the other way Brat was talking there about applying a similar rationale for Green, yep, two debutants uh, against India isn't without risks in, in t- inside the top six. But um, if they think they're both good to go, and especially that feels the case with, with Pekovsky, uh, it could make, well, it'll add another layer to what's going to be a fascinating summer. Yeah, I, I think obviously you
2: would know I've, I've been a strong advocate for Joe Burns and I think he's a, a wonderful player and he's been dicked around and that hasn't helped. You know, mm. that that's probably been a factor in forestalling, in, in, in stunting what might have been a better test career, but... He did have his opportunity last summer with six test matches against some pretty average opposition who were, who were being thumped. And, you know, he made a couple of decent scores, but he didn't. He didn't lock it away, and and when you've had that extended run, you know, I mean, for all of our banging on about Glenn Maxwell needing a shot in the Test team, if he if he had that sort of run, if he got six matches through a home summer and it didn't work out, then I'd be happy to let it go. Yeah. It's just that he's never had the opportunity, and and I think Burns had that opportunity and and didn't really. Yeah, own and it didn't it
0: feel fatal at the time because the team did so well; they won all of their test matches last summer. I mean, Burns made runs in in the first of those, I guess the most competitive um, at the start anyway, when you don't know how a summer's going to go. He made 96 or 98. He he was wronged um, not going to England, well, not getting picked for the test squad in England uh, the previous year when you look at purely... I mean, through retrospective glasses, I suppose, in in as far as uh, seeing what Harris and, and Warner and Bancroft did collectively. But the fact that he was the incumbent and omitted... Yes, he was ill before and he wasn't able to play first-class cricket and there was questions around his fitness, but nonetheless, he had earned the chance to be in that squad. So when he comes back into it, suddenly he's having to prove himself again. And yeah, look, had they gone to Bangladesh in the middle of this year and Burns got a chance to be in that squad, had he made runs over there and locked the whole thing down, well, yeah, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But in the absence of that, it feels much as it did for Matthew Renshaw in consecutive Shield seasons where he was the, the incumbent Opener in the start of the seventeen eighteen Shield season, and the man in waiting in before the 2018-19 season, and on both occasions a poor run of form in October and November saw him miss out, and it feels like Burns is going to suffer a similar fate.
2: And I guess with Will Pukowski, you you have a, a young player who's excellently talented and who's making a stack of runs that's that kind of answers it for yeah, itself yeah. you know that it, it's a positive decision rather than a, than a negative one it's not about dropping someone but it's about having someone who can't be left out and i think the other factor is that who knows when they're going to get to play test cricket mm. again this is an australian home summer that only has four test matches in it they might not get to play another one until the following december you know they haven't their last they finished playing test cricket on january 6 2020 and they'll start on december 17th who knows if they'll be able to tour for a, a test to next year at all we just don't know at this point so if you miss the opportunity to pick Will Pukowski now then are you waiting another 12 months does he does he have an injury next summer are you waiting two or three years So like, have you missed that chance have you blown that chance completely so when a player's ready that's can- right like
0: the will he won't he thing um, Will It'll become baggage If it isn't already I mean two years ago He was all but I mean I think That Tim Payne column Before the The Brisbane test match um, mm. Where they played Against Sri Lanka And it looked as though Payne was picking Pekovsky And then the day before the test They went They went the other way But the point being that He's gone through this He's gone through the motions Of that A couple of times For this to happen again I don't think would be A positive step So yeah I, I think we've come back To this theme a few times Through the show haven't we That sometimes Players get overtaken And that's okay It's not Sort of Rendering the 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 overtaken player's career as void, or saying they're not good enough at that level, it, it's a it's a positive, uh, mm. and it just these things happen. That, that that's what that's what representative cricket's all about.
2: Sometimes you start the day with a lot of votes in Pennsylvania, and then sometimes <laughs> by the end of the day, your opponent has had a lot more votes come in for them in Pennsylvania, and you no longer have a lead in Pennsylvania, and at that point it's time to shut the fuck up and leave. (laughs) And that's what we're about to do. This has been The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. It's released on the Bad Producer Productions podcast network. It's edited by Dave Collins. Thanks to CBUS Super who support us a week in and week out. Thanks to Azolio, our satellite technology partners here at The Final Word. Thanks to everybody on Patreon who supports the show, patreon.com slash the final word. Don't forget the Stuart mcgill show on thursday night australia time thursday morning uk time if you want to be part of that all the links are in the show notes and thanks to everybody who listens in and thanks to adam because without him i would find this show very difficult to do on my own likewise you jeff
0: so beach you tomorrow with stuart mcgill
2: (laughs) good night I i had to go about it